Good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. My name is Jordan Payne. I'm the student ministry director here at Bel Air United Methodist Church. And I'm excited to be able to preach on Christ the King Sunday. Before we dive in, let's go to God in prayer. Father, be with us today. Help us feel your glory and your presence. Open our hearts and minds to the Holy Spirit. Let this be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we hope, believe, and pray. Amen. As Sean stated earlier, today is Christ the King Sunday. It's a Sunday where we, where we remember and remind ourselves of the sovereignty and the, and the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, this, last, uh, is, well, this is the last Sunday in the church's calendar, and the new year begins next week, the first week of Advent. And Christ the King Sunday was, it's not an old celebration. It's actually not even a hundred years old. It was instituted first in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. And he did that to combat a growing secularism and a growing nationalism within the European states. And, and his whole point, his whole reason for doing that was so that the, his, the Christians, the people of Christ, would remember that their hope does not lie with man or the ideas that man can create, but their hope lies in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And while this isn't an ancient uh, celebration, it is something that has been a theme throughout all of church history and is found all throughout Scripture. You see it uh, in the Old Testament uh, through the, the prophecies, uh, or you see it in, in the Gospels, uh, especially like Matthew 28, where Jesus says that all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then you see it all throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament, this theme that Christ is king, that he is the, the most powerful, that he is the one that has no rival. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at something Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And it reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, and he is the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Rebecca does this thing that means a lot to me. I know some people... We'll call it cheesy, but I do not care. Uh, she will on occasion write a little note somewhere uh, and leave it so that I, I find it. And then it just, it's just it has a little saying on it, reminds me that she loves me or, or maybe something that's uh, funny to make me laugh. Uh, and, and she'll write it on paper. She'll write it on napkins. She'll, she'll get an expo marker, write it on a mirror, whatever. And, and she's been doing it ever since we started dating. It's cute. I love it. Don't judge me. Uh, and a while back, she wrote this note that said, I love you, 
and had an arrow pointing to the back of the page where there was like a joke or something. And so I saved it by placing it on the cork board at the office at our house. And so as time went on, it stayed up there. And this past July, my niece Baylor came and stayed with us for a week and a half. Seven-year-old niece. Uh, it was awesome. It was a great, like, ten days. That eleventh day, we, we celebrated too. But it was a great ten days. Uh, well, I remember one night, I was up w- working late on church videos just so I could get them all done, so I could hang out with the girls the next day. And Baylor walks in around 1 a.m. because she couldn't sleep. And uh, I remember just like, I, I need to do the responsible adult thing. And so I put her on my lap, and she helped me uh, edit the videos. And when I say helped, I mean, like, helped me edit the videos. And after about an hour or so of her just on-spot suggestions, she leans back, and, and just with the most cute, like, facial expression and voice, looks at me and goes, Uncle Jordy, why do you love that vacuum? And I was like, what? And then she pointed the vacuum on the wall, and I was like, this is odd. I was bewildered because how did Baylor know that I love this vacuum? Like, how did Baylor know that this Dyson cordless vacuum that my wonderful in-laws bought me, how did she know that I absolutely loved and adored this thing? I was just like, uh, and then I went on a 10-minute or so explanation to a 7-year-old girl about how great this vacuum is, about how it cleans so well and it's easy to clean and how the parts are interchangeable. And I'm, not to brag, but I killed that explanation. Like, that was an awesome explanation. She looked back at me after all that and gave me this uneasy, like, okay, and we went back to video editing. And then about an hour later, uh, with this child asleep in my arms, I, I realized why she asked me if I loved the vacuum cleaner. You remember that note from Rebecca? Well, Baylor saw it and thought I wrote a note to my vacuum cleaner, proclaiming my love for that vacuum cleaner. I will never forget that moment. It was so funny, so wonderful. And as I was preparing today, I remembered that story. I, I, I remembered Baylor looking at that, asking me, why do you love that vacuum? See, Baylor was legit asking a smart and reasonable question. There was a statement with an arrow pointing. Baylor didn't know that that arrow indicated there might be something on the back of the page. She thought I was pointing at something else. Uh, and she, she just had never been exposed to that before. Uh, and there was no way of her knowing that there was more to that statement than what was on that front side of the paper. And this, hit, hit, this really hit me. It hit me because I'm guilty of this. And I'm sure you're guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. We see and read and hear statements like Jesus is king. And when we agree to it, it sounds right, it looks right, it's just something that has been told to us time and time again. There's a Kanye album after it. Like, it, it, it's great, we like it, but the problem is, is we don't dive deeper Baylor asked a question. We don't, we don't really ask questions. we just like, oh yeah, that sounds right. It is right. And we don't dive deeper. We don't dive deeper and see what it actually means or what it actually implies. And I could spend hours talking about these implications uh, for me and you and us and the church and the world and all creation. But I really want to narrow it down to this. How Christ 
being king over all creation impacts the way we see the world and the way that we see ourselves. See, Paul's passage here starts off with that, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, the rulers, dominions, thrones, powers, all things have been created through Christ and for Christ. And then he ends it with, and through him, through God, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. See, Paul's statement starts with the beginning, not the beginning of a verse or a chapter, but like the beginning. Like how God made the heavens and he made the earth and how he made all of creation and how Christ was with him in that moment from the beginning and how all things were created through Christ and for Christ and for Christ's glory. He then talks about how Christ is what holds it all together in the midst of the brokenness of fallen man and fallen creation. Christ is what holds it all together. Then he tells how Christ is the one who bought us and brought us back by his blood. See, this is showing us that all of creation, all of its existence, and all the various forms that it's had from the beginning of time all the way to now and for, forever into eternity, it's been all about Jesus. And that it's never been about something or someone else that it's only been about Jesus, and it will always only be about Jesus. And this is great news. Like, this is great news for us. Because that Jesus whom creation is all about, that Jesus whom creation was created through, he is the one who came down to us to redeem us and to reconcile us back to God himself. And so what I'm hoping that we understand from, from that first, what, what Paul's talking about, is that God is powerful. Like, like, not just like, whoa, you lift five chairs powerful, but like he is powerful, that there's nothing that our God can't do powerful. Like what the Lord wants, the Lord gets powerful. But a phrase from this passage I really want to focus on, just two words. Uh, it's in verse 20, and it's all things. God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. It didn't say God was pleased to reconcile those who loved him, those whom he liked, those whom did this or did that, did that. It just, he said all things, people, creation, all things. So when we declare that Christ is king and that, that, that creation is for his glory alone, and that it was him who reconciled all things back to God, we can have this clear-eyed ability to look out and see our purpose within creation and how we should interact with it. And, and I believe that our purpose is to love God and to love the things that he loves. Yes, that, that's a daunting statement. How do we do that? How, how do I love God? How do I love people how do, we, how do we love people that we, we have a lot of feelings for? And love is not a word we would use to describe it. And I think the way that we love God and the way that we love all that he loves 
is by leaning into the Holy Spirit. There is no way for me to live a life that, that I was created to live and do it all by myself, to do it within my own power. But there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the Holy Spirit. The last thing that Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this theme of power in Christ, Christ the King, it spills onto us. We are not, we're not powerless beings. You're an heir to the kingdom of God. I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. We are children of an uncreated God. And this means that we can fight our sin through Christ and we can prevail. This means that I can struggle with what I'm struggling with. And the Lord is with me and I will one day be a conqueror. Could be today, could be 10 years from now. But through Christ, I will prevail. And this means that, that I can love inconvenient people not because I'm supposed to. But I can love inconvenient people because I want to. I can overcome my own desires. I can overcome my own fears. And I can latch onto him through Christ, through his power. And I believe that this is something the evil one doesn't want us to have. He wants to distract us from this. The devil wants us to believe that it's all up to me. That it's all up to my power and my past. And that, that, that it's me vying for God's love. And that, that's not the truth. That's not the truth because, because I don't live a life trying to earn God's affection. God's default status with me is that I'm beloved. That I'm beloved above all else. That I am his forever and ever. So I don't have to earn God's love. It's already there. But the devil wants us to think that it's all up to us because he wants to rob us of the power of the Holy Spirit to live for Christ. And whenever we feel that, whenever we feel like, okay, we have no power, we need to remind ourselves, Jesus is king. The, the evil one has no power over me. Jesus is king. And, and as I wrap this up, I want to say a phrase that I tell our students often. Christ is infinitely powerful, yet he's also intensely personal. Christ is transcendent. So what that means is he's above all things and that there's nothing that can challenge him. That he is more powerful than anything else. There is no rival to his throne. There is nobody who can oppose him and withstand him. That he is above all. But he's also imminent. He's with me, walking with me, empowering me. This means that we're not alone in our struggles. This means that, that I'm, ne I'm never alone. And it also means that I'm not powerless to fight. That I'm not powerless to fight my sin and fight my struggles. And, and I could keep going on, but I want to be asked to preach again. So I want to challenge you to look beyond the phrase, Christ is King. Do what Baylor did. Ask questions. Dig into what it means and implies in your daily life. Dig into what it means and how you fight and struggle with your sin. And be reminded that Christ is with you in the midst of this life. And that he will never, ever leave your side. And that there is power to fight and power to prevail 
through Christ. Because brothers and sisters, through Christ the King, through Jesus, we can love God. And we can love all that he loves. And he loves everything. Let's pray. Father, help us love you. Help us see your magnificence and your glory. Give us insight and understanding. Remind us that that we are in your hands and that nothing can take us away from you. Remind us that there is power in the name of Jesus and that we can become more than conquerors through him. Help us love that which you love, Father. Help us deny our own passions and desires and take up yours. We love you, but help us love you more. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.